0: Together and sing. The church is one foundation; is Jesus Christ her Lord?
1: and wish you well, and uh, doing a great job of being breeders. Joyce and I had a great time in Europe, and it was good to travel. It's always good to come home. And uh, as we were there, not last Sunday, but two weeks ago, you can be seated when you find uh, your seat. You, you can also move up if you want. Uh, when Joyce and I were there, the first weekend we were in Strasbourg, France, where she was working, and uh, she got up and went off to work that Sunday morning, and Right next to the hotel where we were staying was a church. And I figured out it was a Protestant church called St. John Pierre. And so I thought, I'll try to go over there for services. So I went over to the church at 9.30. I think it was their only service. I don't read French or German too well. Uh, but I went to the service, and it's a, it's a cathedral-like building, although not as big as this. It was a little smaller than this. Um, it was approximately 30 degrees outside. Guess what it was inside? approximately 30 degrees maybe 29 it was cold literally there was no heat in the building that i could tell and i think it was probably a lutheran church the service was in german there's a lot of german spoken in Strasbourg, even though it's france and uh... sat through it i had a great time there uh... there were it was a little bit depressing frankly because there were 29 people in church and uh... i did feel good i think i was one of the youngest people there so uh... that was great but it's good to be home thanks for your prayers It's always good to go away and see a part of God's creation. It's always good to come home to uh, folks that love you.
0: Gracious Father, we pray for your holy church. Fill it with all truth and peace. Where it is corrupt, purify it. Where it is in error, direct it. Where in anything it is amiss, reform it. Where it is right, strengthen it. Where it is in need, provide for it. Where it is divided, reunited, for the sake of Jesus Christ, your son, our savior. Amen.
1: Good
0: morning. Let's meditate on the word of the Lord together. I'm going to read from Mark chapter three, beginning at verse 13. It's on page 37 of your Pew Bibles, which restart their numbering with uh, the New Testament. Mark three. Beginning at verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed: Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter; James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder; Andrew, Philip. Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. In our 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 27, found on page 174 of your Pew Bibles. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles... Second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? but eagerly desire the greater gifts, and now I will show you the most excellent way. The word of the Lord.
1: I'm excited. I'm excited to be back at church today with you. I'm also... I hope this doesn't sound like I'm looking beyond today. It might sound like that a bit, but... I'm really looking forward to next, next Sunday as well. We're going to be welcoming new members, have several who will be baptized, and that's always a very special service. So uh encourage you to be here next Sunday. We also have another, uh, I think it's a treat, a surprise for you, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Uh, but it's something that I've been waiting for for two and a half years. So anyhow, uh, you don't want to miss a single Sunday here at First Baptist. We're glad you're here. Suppose with me that you were walking down Colorado Boulevard, and you were doing the Jay Leno kind of thing of interviewing people. And you stopped people randomly and you would ask them the following questions. You would ask them, for example, does the church play a significant role in your life, yes or no? You would ask them, if you were making a major decision, a job change, what school you're going to go to, uh, whether or not you want to get married, um, some question in your mind about the car you should buy, some decision you're making. If you were making a significant decision, would the church play a role in that decision, yes or no? What would people say? As a matter of fact, most people would say no to both of those questions. If you were to ask people randomly on Colorado Boulevard, rate the church and its role in our society between 1 and 10, 10 being it, plays a very significant role, or it play, it's irrelevant being 1, how would you rate it? Most folks would say, well, they'd give us a low score. I want to talk to you about three words today. Does church matter? And the truth is, according to some pollsters at least, in our society, most folks would say no. No. It doesn't matter. In fact, one pastor was grumbling about the fact that nobody seemed to come to church, not enough people at church. And he said, you know, it seems to me church, people only come to church when they want the baby christened, when they want to get married, and when we usher them out when they die and it's a funeral. He said, for some, the church is just here to match, hatch, whoops, I got it backwards, hatch, match, and dispatch. Dispatch. And perhaps that is somewhat of a view of the church. Now, I know if I ask you the question, does church matter, you're going to say, yes, you're here today. So would you turn around and just shake somebody's hand and say, congratulations for being here. I know that you you would say, certainly, Steve, the church matters, but in our society, many would say it does not. And I want to push you for a moment to think with me about those three words, does church matter, and think to yourself, does it matter to me? How much does it matter to me? What does the church mean to me personally? But also, don't limit that, think, does the church matter in our world? And if so, how, or why, or why not? And let's wrestle with that thought for a moment today. Does church matter? Joyce and I, as I said, had the privilege of traveling recently in Europe. And she's very patient with me because no matter where we are, when I see a steeple, it's whoop, you know, I've got to go over there and go in this church. And whether it's big or little, I just like to go in churches. That's what I do. We were in Strasbourg our first weekend, and the most famous church there is Notre Dame, the Notre Dame-Strasbourg Cathedral. And while she was working, I went to the cathedral many times while we were there. Now, it, too, is not heated, at least not so I could tell. And it's a mammoth structure. You could stick this building inside of it easily, several times maybe, at least twice. It's huge. And as you walk up to the front of it, here's a picture of the front of the church. It's in a plaza. It's a very Gothic building. This doesn't properly show the color. It's mostly pink. It's a pink sandstone structure, quite beautiful. And on the left side is a high spire right now covered with scaffolding as they're working on it. Parts of the church are over 1,000 years old. It's always amazing to be in the cathedrals of Europe and think about their age. Uh, when you go into that church, there's a picture of the interior. I didn't see it with lights on. This is quite beautiful. Uh, it's, again, the high ceiling, the, the wonderful windows, the stained glass. One of the amazing features of the church is its astronomical clock. Now, it's not positioned so anybody could actually tell time by it, so I'm not quite sure why it's there. I bought a book on it, but I haven't read it yet. But as you would come into the church, off to the right, would be up in this section, back in a transept, there is this huge, probably three or four-story astronomical clock. And it's quite famous. In fact, they shut the doors at noon, and you have to pay a euro or two to get in to see the clock when it comes to 1230, because it does all sorts of things. There are men who walk around upstairs and circle, And there are dials and so forth. And this clock tells you what month it is, what time it is. And one of the amazing things is it actually has astrological characters on there. I'm anxious to learn about that. But it tells you what the uh, astrological sign is for this particular season. Odd in a church, I thought. But uh, anyhow, I enjoy going to churches like that and just being there and hanging out. I didn't stay too long. I was freezing. But uh, I would go back after I warmed up. And as you think of the question, does church matter, I must say on that weekend I walked out wrestling with the question, does church matter, and wondering, is this just a museum for relics? And if you like to follow along in our outlines, uh, I must say to you, and I don't know if it's true of that church or not, I'm not saying that, but there are certainly churches that are simply museums for relics. There are old things there. And people seem to want to hang on to them and prize them, but they're things that perhaps used to be of value or they have some significance, but they're not relevant to life anymore. And some churches are like museums. In our culture today, it's also true that some churches are country clubs. Now, I've never belonged to a country club, but to get into a country club, you pay a lot of money, and country clubs are for the folks who are members. And if things don't go well within the country club and the members are unhappy, people hear about it, right? Because the country club is for insiders. It's for those who are there and have paid their money, paid their dues. And they have high expectations of what they should get from the country club. And I think it's very fair to say some churches are like country clubs. They're for insiders. And the members expect this place is here for me and it better meet my needs if it doesn't. Somebody's going to hear about that. And there are churches today that are very much country club churches. Another description we could give to churches would be this one. Churches, some churches today are like shopping malls. You go there to get what you need. In fact, Rick Warren has coined the phrase in talking about the lack of commitment in our society. He said many Christians are church hoppers and church shoppers. We just kind of bounce around until we get the one we want. And we get a little bit there, and if that's not going to work, we go somewhere else and get something there. A lack of commitment. Does church matter? While we were traveling, I had the opportunity to read, and George Barna has come out with a new book, his 30-some-odd book. And I haven't read it, but I've read the reviews about it, and the book is called Revelation. And let me get back to my notes. George Barna has written this book called Revolution. Revolution. And in this book, he talks about what he calls personal church is emerging. He thinks churches are going in America are going to see less and less people in them, and more and more people, although they'll be Christian, will choose their own personal religion. They'll kind of pick or personal church here and there, internet church, and so forth. Now, let me give you a quote. Barna says statistically that. In the typical church believer, that the typical church believer will die without ever leading a single person to Jesus Christ. That's pretty shocking. If we're here to lead others to Christ, that most members die never having done so. That's troubling. Barna says that according to his statistics, and he primarily researches Southern California folks, only 9% of born-again adults have a biblical worldview. Less than 1 in 10 of churched people actually give 10% of their income to the church or other nonprofit organizations. In other words, less than 10% of churches have tithers. And only 1 out of every 4 church believer say that when they worship, they expect God to be the primary beneficiary of their worship. Most are focused on themselves. Barna says this, summing up statistics like that. We spent several years searching for evidence that God was at work changing lives through churches and discovering how the processes worked. While we certainly found some wonderful examples, I was stunned and deeply disappointed at how relatively rare such instances are. Barna does not cite statistics, but uh, he goes on to say, If we place all our hope on the local church, it's a misplaced hope. Wow, that's disturbing to me because I'm a pastor and I've placed all my life in the local church. But I respect George Barna and I take him seriously when he writes. And so in one sense, you could summarize his latest book, Does Church Matter?, and he'd say, not much. Not much. And that disturbs me. This morning, I want to press that question to you, does church matter, and to wrestle with it. And let's let's go to the Bible and I'm not going to spend um, a lot of time doing this, but the Bible has a lot to say about the church. In fact, over a hundred references in the New Testament. And I want to look at five facts. You could make a longer list. This is not exhaustive, But I want to look at five statements from the New Testament about the local church. And again, when the Bible speaks about church, it's usually speaking about a local body of Christ. We certainly believe that as Baptists. Let's look very quickly at five statements the Bible makes about local churches, and I'm going to ask for five volunteers to read scriptures. We'll make the statement, the fact, and then I'll ask you to read a verse or two that will be on the screen. Uh, First of all, the first fact, and I think it is the number one fact, whose idea is the church? Pastor Steve's? The Popes? Roger Williams? Billy Graham? Whose idea is the church? It's God's idea. And that's the first statement I want to say about the local church, is it's God's idea. Not a human idea. Who would read these two scriptures? Please just stand and read them off the screen. Thank you, Gentleman in the back, Dan. On this rock I will build my church. Thank you, and we have one other scripture. Dan, do you want to read this one? Uh... To the church of God, which is Christ. Christ. Now, I would encourage you as you look at your notes, you would underline four words in that first statement. Jesus speaking, he said, I will build my church. And secondly, when Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, he called it the church of God. And so, first fact, the church is God's idea. It's not a human idea. Second fact, the church is the bearer of truth. And if someone would read this scripture from Timothy, that's a big statement. We can't spend time talking about it. Oh, man, Noah's not going to leave, is he? Is this Noah's first Sunday in church? Last Sunday, second Sunday, okay. We have a brand new baby here, we're excited. Anyone, would someone read this scripture about uh, the church being the foundation of the truth? Thank you, the church bears truth. Huge fact. Number three, the church is led by the most important person who ever lived, Christ. Someone read this scripture.
2: He is also head of the body of the church. Thank
1: you. I'd like you to raise your right hand, would you? We're going to make a promise. Repeat after me. I solemnly swear I want to hear it better than that, folks. I solemnly swear never, ever, ever say I go to Pastor Steve's church. It's not my church, folks. I don't even want it. I've been around here a while. Now, I understand sometimes we hear somebody say, well, I go to so-and-so's church, and they mean I go where so-and-so goes to church. But oftentimes, never been my problem, but oftentimes when you have high-profile church leaders, somebody will say, I go to pastor so-and-so's church, as though it's their church. And that's just a horrendously bad thing to say. Wouldn't you agree if it's Jesus' church? The church is led by the most important person who ever lived. Who is that? It's Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body, the church. The Bible says it over and over. Um, The church, next one, is worth giving your life for. Maybe a bad sentence, but uh, it's true. Who would read this one? Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Jesus gave his life for the church. That's a true statement. That's how much emphasis he places on the church. Now, if you are a servant of the church, and by that I'm thinking about uh, those of you who have been or are missionaries, your teachers in a Christian school or a Christ, the seminary or something like that, or your musician who has led in the church, or you're a pastor or a retired pastor, would you just... Stand up right now. In some way, you've really given your life to serving the church. That's been the main thrust of your life. Would you just stand? number of us around, just look around. Now all of us would say, in some sense, my life is worth giving to the church. And I would like to challenge you as young people, as you think about, what am I going to give my life for? Why not give it for the local church? Jesus did. You may see Christian Best running around the little days these days. We've uh he, he came to me some time ago and said, Pastor, I think uh, God may be calling me to pastoral ministry. What should I do? And I said, well, you need to prepare yourself. You're in college. That's the first step. Good. And uh, more recently, we've said, Christian, we want you to be the doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. That's a worthy thing to be. And so he's taking care of the doors. There are lots of them to lock and unlock on Sunday morning. There are lots of lights to turn on. And that's Christian's job now. And he's uh, soloing today for his first time. So... We thank God for Christian. I don't know where he is. He's still running somewhere probably, but uh, Christian's helped out in a lot of other ways, and and we celebrate that. But the church is worth giving your life for. And then the last one, church brings glory to Christ. Who would read this scripture? I'll read it. (laughs) Now, to God be the glory in the church. Now, those are five facts, and there could be many more given about the local church. This morning, I want to spend the rest of our time looking at one scripture, a very short section of scripture, Mark chapter 3. It was read to you a moment ago, and this is the section where Jesus, as Mark opens, begins his ministry. And he begins by calling people, Andrew, James, John, Levi, and throughout those chapters, he's calling people to himself. And there are people who are becoming followers of Jesus. We call them disciples. Disciples. In chapter 3, Jesus takes time out now to especially call 12 whom he's going to name apostles. And I want to look at that. And let me say up front, I recognize this is a unique scripture. Jesus didn't call me or you to be an apostle. He never will. So this is a unique scripture as Jesus chose these 12 individuals who Paul says Christ was the cornerstone. The apostles are first in the church. They are the foundation of the church. And so I recognize up front the the uniqueness about this Scripture. Nevertheless, I think it's important for us to think about as we answer the question, does church matter? And if so, how does it matter? And the first way I would say church matters is that our community is to be a Christ-centered community. It's Christ's community. And so as I ask the question for myself, does church matter and does it matter for First Baptist Church, It matters if we are Christ's community. Now, I'm going to put on the screen here the Scripture in Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and part of 14. It says, Jesus went up to a mountainside and called to Him those He wanted, and they came to Him. And He appointed twelve what? Would you read that with me? That He might be with them. Or that they might be with Him. Got it backwards. Let's read it Again that they might be with Him. That little preposition is what I want to focus on. As Jesus called these men to Himself, the first thing He did was say, I want, You're here to be with Me. Now you can imagine with Me what it would be like to hang out with Jesus for three years. If a girl walks in here and you know the family well, you'll say, Well, she walks just like her daddy. Or you can tell... Franklin Graham is Billy Graham's son. Why? He sounds just like his dad. When we hang out with people for long periods of time, we adopt some of their ways. And that was the idea. A part of the training of the Twelve was, guys, just hang out with me so that you can see how I do it, and you're going to do similar things. And I don't want to skip over this first point. Jesus called these men to be with Him. And we will be a church that matters in direct relationship to how much time we spend with Christ. Now, Barna's statistics said when most people come to church, it's all about themselves. What should it be about? Why should we come to church? We should come to church to meet with Jesus. How's that happen? It happens in lots of ways. But Jesus himself said, where a few are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. And Jesus also talked about there's a sense in which we see Christ in each other. When you come in uh, to the worship area and Ed Kramer is there and hands you a bulletin and smiles and welcomes you, you and I are to see Christ in Ed. And when we hear someone open the Scriptures in Sunday school and teach to us, we are encountering Christ in the Word and in the teaching and in the teacher. And when we pray together, we come to church for lots of good reasons, to sing, to see our friends, to pray, to be silent, to learn the Word, lots of good reasons. One of the main reasons is to be with Christ, to be Christ's community, to be present uh, and to be meeting with Christ. So does church matter? Yes, it matters when we are a community of Christ. I am reading a book that's by a Benedictine monk, and he's talking about the Benedictine way of hospitality. And I want to read to you a story because he's talking about the value of hospitality. Thank you for your patience. And uh, the story, I think, comes to this point we're talking about. Does church matter? It matters when we're Christ's community. Go with us to a corner in the sprawling market in Mexico City where an old Indian man named Pota Pota, Lamo is selling onions. Twenty strings of onions lay in front of him. A guy from Denver walks up and asks, How much for a string of onions? Ten cents, replies Potolamo. How much for two strings? Potolamo fixes his eyes on him and says, Twenty cents. What about three? Thirty cents. Not much of a reduction for quantity. Would you take twenty-five cents for three? No. Well, how much for all of them, for the whole 20 strings? I will not sell you the whole 20 strings. Why not, asks the American. Are you here to sell onions? No, replies Poto Llamo. I'm here to live my life. I love this market. I love the crowds. I love the sunlight. I love the smells. I love the children. I love to have my friends come by and talk to me about their babies and their crops. This is my life, and for that reason I sit here with my 20 strings of onions. If I sell all my onions to only one customer, then my day is over, and I've lost the life that I love. And that I will not do. Father Dan goes on to say, Living life in that way places a higher value on relationships and community than it does on commerce and productivity. This is counter to how most of us have been taught to live our lives. We live our lives selling onions. There is no room for hospitality in a life like that. We greet the morning sun each day with our to-do lists, while the monk greets the sun each day with prayer and silence. I don't know about you, but that speaks to me, and it helps me as I think about the church being Christ's community. A community centered in Jesus Christ. And so as we go back to the, the, the beginning of the church, when Jesus called these men who had become the foundation of the church, what did He call them to do? He called them to be with Him. And I want to remind us that although that was uniquely for the apostles in that sense, I think it's also for us. Wouldn't you agree that we as a church are called to be with Christ? And we will matter in direct relationship how much time we spend with Christ. Now, that's not all that he said. And so let's look at the next thing Jesus said. Jesus called the twelve. He named them apostles. He, he wanted them to be with him. And the church will also matter if it becomes a proclaiming community. Let's look at the next thing Jesus did. It says he called them to be with him and that, they, that he might send them out to preach. It's interesting the word send is the word apostle. Apostles are sent ones. And they're sent out to preach. Now, God calls some of us to be, uh, I started to say professional. That wouldn't be a good thing to do. Uh, preachers of the Word of God on a public basis. But what do we preach? What's the message that we preach? It's the message that Jesus died and rose again. As these men hung out with Jesus, listened to His preaching, we get to hear Peter's first sermon in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, when he stood up and preached. And he talked about Jesus. It was the center of his sermon. And so, a community that matters is going to be a community that proclaims Christ. Now, I want to take a bit of a risk, and we'll see if this works or not, but most of us in this room would be people who would say, yes, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I understand that God sent Jesus into the world to save the world, that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on the third day, and now offers eternal life to all who believe, and I have believed. And so you'd say, Steve, I am a Christian. I, I have accepted Christ as my Savior. There may be someone in the room here who has not done that. And we're glad you're here. We're very glad you're here. What I'd like to do is ask if there's one person who would stand up and in just two or three sentences, very simply, you'd say, Steve, this is how I came to know Jesus as my Savior. Anybody willing to stand up and do that? Thank you, Paul. We've got two. Jill, we we'll We'll do two. Go ahead, Paul.
0: Well, I grew up in a
1: Christian home,
0: but uh, when I was in junior college, uh, uh, there was a certain point where I felt I was accountable for, for my actions,
1: which were basically, I, I thought I was self-sufficient. In head it didn't help. At that point, uh, God's timing was really good. First of all, the navigators came uh, while I was in junior college at PCC and uh, confronted me uh, uh, with his love and uh, and so I, I humbled myself and I accepted him as a my person say amen not just as a acknowledge thank, thank you me. amen and Jill
2: when I was in high school um, I was Lonely lost kid, and um, you do just about anything to get acceptance from others. And um, there's a big gap in my life. And uh, as a sophomore, um, my doctor's son invited me to Bible study at his home. And I was so amazed to see kids my age that weren't ashamed of their faith, that had their Bibles, that were willing to talk openly about their faith. And um, at the end of the Bible study, they gave an opportunity for anyone. That had never accepted Christ that they could do that. He come into their life. Like, thought, That's weird. How does that work? You know, how does He come into life? You know, we'd gone to a lot of churches growing up, and I'd never heard the idea of actually having Christ in my life. And so I invited Christ in my life. Nothing changed. And the next week I did that again, and nothing changed. So I kept making this decision every week, and finally, some people in the Bible study began to sit down and help me figure out that. Um, it's a matter of really believing that the scripture is true. He did say, when he said he would come in, he's there. Whether you feel it or not, he's there. And it's based on what God's word says. And uh, God is alive. He, he acts, he does what he says. And so for the first time in my life, I began to get this understanding that there's a God who's alive, who actually does what he says, and he, speak to, he speaks to us through his word. And it was just, it changed everything. My life has never been the
1: same. Amen. Thank you. Would you give a round of applause to these two uh, brave Preachers. Amen. Thank you. They both have preached Christ. They've proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you've not invited Christ into your life, as Jill said, if Christ is not personal to you, I encourage you to do that today. We're going to give you the opportunity. So a church that follows in the tradition of the apostles, and proclaims the message of Jesus Christ is a church that matters. And then lastly, Jesus told them to do one other thing. And a church that matters is going to be a courageous church. Why do I say that? Because in Mark chapter 3, Jesus says one other thing about the disciples. This is a little scary, but uh, what, is, what are they supposed to do? Drive out demons. I was going to say... Um, does anybody have a demon they need driven out? But uh, I don't know. What is he talking about here? Well, in chapter 5 of Mark, there's the famous story about the beginning of deviled ham. You remember that story? Where Jesus gets out of a boat and goes into a cemetery area, and a crazy man comes after him. Long story short, Jesus casts the demon out of this man. The demon goes into the pigs. The pigs jump into the sea. And so the disciples got to be there. Can you imagine being there for that event? The next chapter, Jesus says, Okay, guys, your turn. <laughs> you do it now. And the disciples are then sent out to preach the good news and to teach and to cast out demons. Now, I realize this is a bit of a... What, what do we say about this one? Well, let me say this. One thing is we simply say, uh, Wow. But if our church is going to matter, it's going to be a courageous community. It's going to be a courageous church. And for me, I think that means that church matters as we courageously confront spiritual darkness in our day. Now, I think we could all raise our hand to say the fact that we realize there's spiritual darkness in our own lives, call it what you will, and there's also spiritual darkness and evil in our world. Do we have the courage to to confront that in the name of Jesus Christ? We should. Church matters as we begin to overcome evil in our world with good, as Jesus taught. Church matters as we have the courage to confront injustice in our society. Church matters as we have the courage to speak out against racism in our society. Church matters as we speak out against oppression, anything that's going to mar the image of God in people and as we stand for Christ and for goodness and speak out against those things of evil church matters and so I encourage us today that we can be a church that matters by being a courageous community by being a proclaiming community by being a community centered in Christ now this morning I want to come back to where we started does church matter to you? And I encourage you to think about that. Perhaps you want to write out your response at the end of this message. I want to do the following this morning. As I've wrestled with this message today, I realize that you may be here and say, you know, Steve, Jesus is not personal to me. I have not accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Why not do that today? We're going to give you the opportunity to do that. In just a moment, we're all going to stand and sing a song. And while we're singing, I'll invite you to come forward. And I'm going to ask our staff members, for Jr. and Tim and a couple others, to just be down front here on your right side. And if you'd like to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, come forward and I'll pray with you or one of them will pray with you. Secondly, if you want First Baptist Church to matter, I want to ask you to pray this morning for God's help. Folks, we can't do this without the Lord's help. And I'm going to ask our board to come forward. And Dan, if you'll come and just be down on this side around the piano as we stand. I want the board to pray together. What are you going to pray? Pray Christ. Help us to be a Christ-centered, Christ-honoring community. A community that's with Christ. Pray that we be a proclaiming community. Pray that we be a courageous community for Christ's sake. So would you stand? And Ted, we're going to sing. And uh, would you stand with me and staff if you'll come forward and stand here on the right And board members, if you're a member of the Board of Deacons here, I'll ask you to come forward and stand by the piano. And let's lift up our voice in song to the Lord. Father God, I pray this morning that you help us to be a church that matters. We don't want to be a museum for relics. We don't want to be a country club where we find life easy and pleasing just to us. We don't want to be even a shopping mall, Lord, where people drop in and drop out just as they pick up what they need. We want to be a life-transforming, Christ-following community. We pray your help in that effort. In Jesus' name, amen. As you go forth, I remind you to be a greeter. Continue your hospitality one toward another as you go. We have coffee and refreshments prepared. Pray that you'll linger and make it a point to meet a couple folks that you don't already know. Go forth in the power, the peace, the presence of Christ, knowing Christ goes with you. Amen.